Hi, everyone. Back at you with another episode of ESEC Lending Insights, where we keep it unscripted, real, and interesting. Yes, we are definitely unscripted, Peter. But interesting, I think we should maybe let our listeners make that determination. What we are here to do, though, is to give you our latest thoughts and perspectives on what is going on in the securities lending industry, whether that be about demand trends or what is happening across the market. And now to our episode. Let's go. I would say today has been one of the busiest days we've had in months. Why? Um, Have you why, why is it busy? Or not doing of, your work for the past few months or what? <laughs> I decided to actually earn my paycheck for a change. No, you know what? I think in the equity space, people woke up to, wow, we've got year end approaching. We need to make some changes to our book. So we're seeing a whole lot of new funding ideas, like non-cash ideas from various guys. Some guys we don't talk to a whole lot coming in. Haven't talked to him a bit, seeing what our appetite was for different flavors of year-end stock loans. So that plus the specials market seems to be picking up a bit here, which is good. Our guys in London this morning reported they don't think we're going to see a seasonal slowdown in London. I don't know if you guys heard that on the morning call. He doesn't actively listen to those calls. Yeah, well, right, we've already established. No, I, I listened today. But when you say the specials market picked up, like, can you give an example? Were there new, Air, new shorts Air, happening? Air France moved, we moved existings from eight to 10%. So it's a 25% move on a special. It's pricing power like that. It's the Rivian story that Brooke, you and I were just talking about. As stock starts to settle into our box and we're getting it out the door. It's more of a feeling to the day, Peter, than kind of specifics. Dating myself, I guess, but the phones used to ring on busy days like crazy. And then today the phone rang a few times, but it's mostly IVs. And so these chats were difficult to keep up with in terms of locates and new ideas and demands. And we've got a full desk today. So all of that combined says for a very busy day, which is interesting. It's the week before Thanksgiving. So I bet you we'll be busy up until Thanksgiving, quiet for the end of that week. And then it'd be nice to see an active market in December, but I don't know. Are the special, the one example that you gave was a special getting more attractive or more profitable for our clients. Are there also new specials? Is there a broadening of the specials market or is it still pretty concentrated? Still pretty concentrated. I think there's a broad, deep, short base, but some of the specials are more difficult to borrow. We're approaching proxy season. So kind of core GC names like a visa, you'll see high utilization on supply changes. And so pricing power changes. And it's very little new specials, Peter. There's not new risk getting put up, not a ton of it anyway, other than kind of the one-off IPOs that come. I mean, we're still seeing... M&A activity. In Canada, we heard of a bought deal, a convert that came this morning, Wells, W-E-L-L. So it's just more the same, but more of it, I think. And these structured things from borrowers, I think it's always great to see them approaching us on new ideas, one-off ideas. Is that both balance sheet for just day-to-day and year-end issues, or is it more focused mainly on year-end? The trigger is year-end to get these trades on, but I think they live beyond that. There's implied tenor. There isn't guaranteed tenor. It's not like they're looking for one-year evergreens and that kind of thing, but they want it over your end, but it's also a need they have on an ongoing basis. So it shifts wallet, essentially, from one agent lender to another, from one client to another based on collateral flexibility, based on structure flexibility. So I think it's not an opportunity that lasts six weeks. I think it's an opportunity that is triggered by an event, which is your end, but then that wallet stays with you, or at least that we try and keep that wallet with us over the full year. 
isn't a big issue as far as some borrowers have different year ends. I think the Canadians have a different year end, right? It's not 1231. Does that play into the dynamics here? Not to what I was just talking to. CAD versus U.S. year ends, they help each other. I think the CAD banks are in a better position to help on the funding side and balance sheet relief side because it's not their year end and vice versa with the U.S. banks, you know, leading up into October 31st. So, but no, what I'm talking about is more just, I think just the street cleaning its act up ahead of December 31st. It's good to see that activity mid-November. Peter, what about you? Are you as busy as Jim and are people returning your calls or are you getting hit by incoming calls and messages constantly too? How's your world? My world, I appreciate you acknowledging me, Brooke. I do appreciate that. My world is, it's feast or famine usually, and there isn't usually a lot of inbound. So when I go into the CRM, there's a drop-down menu about inbound or outbound. It's almost always outbound. But I would say there's some rumored RFPs. There are some good things happening in the peer space in some conversations. Some really interesting dialogue with some of the largest names out there. So as you know, Brooke, we're going after quality, not quantity, as far as partnering with firms. And so I feel pretty good heading into the new year on our pipeline. That's good. What is the opportunity set for peer-to-peer? Where do you think we are in five years with what we describe as peer-to-peer, which I guess would be, does peer-to-peer include hedge funds? Well, I was going to say, how are you defining it? That's the key always in this conversation. Because as we know, many different organizations in our industry, I think, have a slightly varied definition of peer-to-peer. So, yeah, I think you need to decide whether you're including hedge funds in that conversation or not. Do our clients include hedge funds in peer-to-peer? I would say today, most know they don't. They really see it as a sort of end investor to end investor you know, a pension to a pension or perhaps a pension to an asset manager or insurance or sovereign. But, you know, I think that there are some beneficial owners today that are active already in direct opportunities with hedge funds. And I think that you'll see that grow over time. But to me, I see that differently than peer to peer. But again, that's, I think, the way that we define it. And I do think that differs from other agents in the market and how they might define it. So, I think the question's more sort of a twofold one, which is where do you see beneficial owner um, exposure to hedge funds in five years? Question A. Question B, I think, is more where do you see beneficial owner to beneficial owner exposure and trade opportunities in five years? I think to me, those are sort of two separate tracks because there's a lot of differences there. I think you need hedge funds in there if peer-to-peer is going to be as big as it can be. Because you don't have enough traditional beneficial owners representing the demand side, if you will. Right. Right. The cash taker or the borrower, if you will. And so that's, I think, one of the struggles in peer-to-peer is to have enough people on both sides of the trade. And then it's about making the operational friction easy to do the trade, right? From the legal side, from the ops side, and from the credit approval side. And that's obviously what's a lot of the conversation that goes on at GPFA and, and other groups. Both those questions you outlined, Brooke, are interesting and something to watch in the next couple of years. What do you hear from your side, Jim, from the street side? We talk about it less, I think. It's more of a defensive posture. But I think my guess is that a lot of borrowers will look at this as ways to get 
from their perspective, expensive, unprofitable business off their books. I do think hedge funds will be involved in a peer-to-peer. Whatever world that exists, whatever ecosystem gets developed, I think hedge funds will be a part of it. Whereas looking backwards, maybe they weren't a part of it because they, they needed to work with their primes on it. But now I think primes might deboard that business that isn't that profitable. So I guess I see peer-to-peer as inclusive of hedge funds and a way to do GC a bit more efficiently and cheaply. Right. No, And I agree with you. And I do think that it's absolutely a solution that will grow over the years to come. I'm just trying to explain that I think that there's a distinction that will be made along the way, because I think yep. that there's reasons why people will look to trade with hedge funds directly. And those reasons might differ from why they might look to trade with another pension or another beneficial owner type directly. But I think what we've seen in our business at ESEC Lending, supporting our clients that are already engaged in peer-to-peer, is much of that activity are already trade types that fit within your description earlier of the types of trades that are heavier for the borrowers to have to manage in terms of balance sheet and otherwise. And there are a lot of them are more funding trade driven structures. And that's what we're seeing already today increase in terms of scope amongst our client base. So there's probably, you're absolutely right, will be more and more of that. And I think we'll see both sides, I think, grow quite a bit in the years to come, but I think they'll somewhat grow on separate tracks. Yeah. They might. Yeah. And maybe the hedge fund track is more of a specials or value, intrinsic value driven peer-to-peer platform, whereas long asset owners, whatever type you might be, those long asset owners swap GC assets. Maybe that comes first and the hedge fund with specials comes second. Interesting though. Yeah. And it started with us, right, Brooke, with a minority of our client base, very focused on it. And now we're finding other names interested in the topic. What percentage of our clients would you say are looking to participate in this today versus kind of looking for information now, educating themselves? That's a good question. It's a small percentage that I would say are active today, although small but meaningful because the balances that we're running today in our program are pretty meaningful in terms of trade size and such. But you know, overall, in terms of the actual clients that are actively engaged in peer-to-peer, it's definitely the smaller minority today. But those that I think are looking at it with real intent to do something, that's a decent community, I would say. You know, ultimately, it kind of comes down to that every client is so different from one another and oftentimes will have one or two hurdles that are either structural or sort of guideline specific or credit specific type things that they really need to get comfortable with in order to trade peer to peer. So either they have ratings requirements on the credit side that they need to decide whether they're going to have a way to look at non-traditional, non-rated peer counterparts that might be actually higher credits in terms of their credit profile than their traditional bank dealer borrower entities, but yet just don't have that formal agency credit rating. So can they get comfortable there? Or, you know, a lot of our clients will have documentation specific requirements that then just create a hurdle in terms of getting the setup from a legal and administration perspective done. If you're looking to trade on a bilateral basis with another peer, you know, you might need to set up an individual and specific MRA or MSLA document in order to do so 
And, you know, that always takes time and effort. Some clients it'll be around collateral and what collateral they're accepting and whether that peer counterpart has demand for the type of trade versus that collateral and whether they need to look to broaden it. Some even get held up, you know, one counterpart has to deal with collateral on a bilateral basis and another wants to do it on a tri-party basis. And so you have to figure out how to match all of that. And so there's always this like multifaceted matrix of is the demand there in terms of supply and demand opportunity, but then what are the other factors that can either make or break it? So it's credit, it's legal, it's ops, it's admin type items that I think are really important. So if you can get all of those solved behind the scenes, then I think that's where these opportunities will really flourish in the years to come. So there's a lot of back office legal admin work that is needed to really make, I think, this grow in a significant way. Just get that done for us, will you, Peter? And then let us know when it's- I get that done. Well, just well, to listen, be clear, I, I, the, I, actual, I t- the actual heavy lifting is not what Peter's going to be doing here. He's going to be the on-the-phone guy, picking up the phone, you know, doing those outbound- I'm the front man. Uh, outbound calls, right. Well, turning it back to what you care about, Brooke, I know it was a big deal for you this week, which was the Adele concert and the Oprah interview, right? (laughs) That was kind of a big deal for you. It was a big deal for me. Yes. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for highlighting that. Yeah. It was, uh, you know, rather than Sunday night football, like most people I get excited about, that was my Sunday night excitement. Well, I've got one for you because we're different ages, kind of, but we all care about health and wellness, right? And one thing that I've started to do, I don't know if you guys are into this at all, but cryotherapy. Anyone tried that yet? What is it? Where you no, go, it's, where, it's, where, it's where cryotherapy, it's like, like where you when breathe. you go into a room where you go to minus 150 degrees because it's really good for your body. It's kind of why athletes take ice baths, things like that. Do you think there are these, there are are these wellness places. in America or something or what's going on here? I'm just saying that these places are popping up. They're infrared saunas. There's a cryotherapy where you go into this chamber, takes it down to a minus 150 degrees, brings your, your body temperature down. And how long are you in Really good for you. Three minutes. It's really, it's really cold. So it's apparently really good. Because I live in the North country and live in Vermont near Lake Champlain, the big thing here, which I do not participate in is lake swimming in the freezing cold temperatures. And so people are now really gearing up and getting super excited about getting in the lake as the lake temperatures are dropping. I have a girlfriend that you probably maybe would get along with in this area. She's super into health and wellness. She herself has taken up lake swimming or lake dipping all year long. And they go in sort of whatever the weather is, they're out there and they're getting in the lake crazy enough as that seems, but it sounds like similar theories, which, cause you know, it's all about the positive benefits that gives to your body. Exactly. And, they, and these places are popping up all over the place. So I wouldn't be surprised if you see them in your community soon. Huh. Interesting. I also yeah. saw that I'm very much looking forward to because in addition to Adele, one of my other favorites is Chris Hemsworth, otherwise known as Thor. And he is doing a Disney National Geographic documentary, which is all about pushing his body to the limits. And if you don't know who I'm talking about, you should check it out. But he definitely has a body that is able and apparently willing to be pushed to the limits of endurance and resilience and everything else. But a lot of it has to do with, again, cold water therapy and crazy extremes. So maybe he's into that. I'm not and, into our, that. Uh, and our Thor is Jim Maroney. So <laughs> I won't even got a Thor in their group. <laughs> I've done a polar plunge once and I absolutely hated it. It hurt. 
and you're in the water for six seconds. So whatever you're describing, Peter, Jimmy, out. <laughs> Me too. I'll just All be right. a spectator. There you go. All right. Well, that was a good session, guys. Appreciate it. And we'll talk to everyone soon. All right. Bye, friends. Thanks for listening, everybody. Hope we left you with something interesting and productive to utilize in your daily securities lending activities. And friends, don't forget to subscribe to ESEC Lending Insights wherever you get your podcasts. And now for our disclaimer. This material is for your private information and does not constitute legal tax or investment advice. There is no representation or warranty as to the current accuracy of nor liability for decisions based on such information. Thank you for listening.